Conor McReynolds and welcome to The Dinner Party. In this podcast, I ask guests to tell me about their dream dinner parties. I want to know the venue, the menu and the guest list. What better way to dig a bit deeper into my guests' creativity and passion than by talking to them about the people, places and food that inspire them most. This week, I am delighted to be speaking to a brilliant improviser, illustrator, singer, presenter and astrophysicist. She appears in several Jericho comedy shows, including An Improvised Funeral, The Show That Must Not Be Named, and Murder on the National Express. I am so excited right now to be speaking to the fantastic Dr. Josie Peters. Josie Peters, thank you so much for joining me on The Dinner Party. How are you this evening? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have dinner. (laughs) (laughs) i'm so excited that you're here uh obviously josie you are involved in so many really cool things you're a a comedian and an artist and a singer and an astrophysicist uh which is i don't speak to many astrophysicists in my day-to-day life josie so this is a real thrill for me um, well, I'll bring more of them next time. Um, <laughs> Are you on the club all... together? Yeah, yeah. We call ourselves like the constellations. And, uh... <laughs> that really does sound like an actual Oxford thing, doesn't it? Like the constellations. It really does. Sound yeah, like I feel like it should exist. Um, I think you maybe, may have just created is... a group. Yeah, this is the beginning of uh, <laughs> new exciting. Well, I'm definitely be. not allowed in uh, because I I was reading all about uh, kind of you and your work today and your fascinating dinner party guests that we're going to talk about later. Um, and I, I literally laughed out loud at a point earlier when I was reading like your profile, I think on the University of Oxford website, and it was sort of explaining what your work was. And like, I know it was written in English, like I recognized the language. But I understood nothing. It was so strange. Like what you do <laughs> is so incredible and so quite literally out of this world and astonishing to me. Like, where did your your interest in astrophysics begin? So I was um, actually did a maths undergraduate degree. And everyone else was like, oh, I want to be a teacher. I want to go into finance, all these kind of things. And none of that really um, ticked any of my boxes. Um, (laughs) So I sort of spent a summer kind of wafting around. And then I actually, I I went back home up north and then I came back down to London for an improv comedy thing. And while I was there, I went to a... Uh, photography exhibit at the Royal Maritime Museum in Greenwich oh yeah and it was basically you sort of you started at the earth and the moon and all the planets and then you kind of basically like zoomed out in terms of space as you went through mm-hmm. and the cool thing was that not only were all these images really beautiful but they had these little bios from astronomers going oh I like this galaxy because it's got a lot of stars in it. Um, and it was at that point I realised that you could just do astrophysics. Um, <laughs> you you didn't have to, like, you know, do all of physics. Like, I never really got, you know, materials or acoustics or, you know, the, the slightly sure. drier stuff. I'm sure it is very interesting if you... But at school it was 
I was like, space is cool, but the rest of physics is boring. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so when I found this out, it was like, oh my gosh, great. Um, and I basically, yeah, I worked for a year saving up the money to go and do my master's in Manchester and then applied to like eight PhD programs and um, somehow Oxford took me. So wow. that was how I ended up here. So your your astrophysics PhD just came out of seeing a really cool exhibition. Yeah, and I I think I mean I th- I always kind of value trying to explain science because I hate that it can be impenetrable. So like my bio that you read is more kind of aimed at a oh, fellow yes. astronomer. Yes, so of course. So it's kind of packed full of all the jargon, but. Um, well, yeah, that's it's another really cool thing about your work that I, you know, I've I've obviously known you for a little while and I've seen a lot of your stuff uh, kind of online, uh, but it's a really cool strand of your work that you you make science kind of really exciting and accessible. Um, like you do a lot of stuff on social media, you you know, on YouTube and stuff, you release videos. Um, tell us a bit more about kind of some of the ways in which you you make science really accessible. So I've, for the past year, I've focused more of my efforts on TikTok. Um, because so I I really like making YouTube videos, but there are a lot of work, especially when you're doing normal work as well. Um, it's a lot of editing and, you know, you need to do a lot of visuals and things like that. Whereas with TikTok, it's a lot faster and I can sort of do voiceovers for things and make them that even bit more accessible because they're so quick. Yeah. Like, you know, even someone who doesn't like science could go, oh, that galaxy looks nice. And, you know, watch a 60 second thing of my TikTok and then go, oh, actually, I kind of I understood that. That made sense. Yeah. And then maybe they'll, you know, come and find out about some more science and physics stuff. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing a lot of that. Do you get lately. like much engagement from from people online? Like a lot of people kind of getting in touch to say that you've helped them understand something or that they've kind of taken up your your interest in it based on sort of seeing your stuff? So something that I've got recently that I haven't had much before was um, some parents tell me that they show their daughters my videos oh, on TikTok, wow. which was really lovely because obviously you're trying to, you know, it'd be great to get more women in science because yeah. it's not enough. Um, so... That's been really lovely. Uh, yeah, I get a, a whole kind of weird pick and mix bag of different feedback. Some of, some of them's kind of weird, but I guess that's true <laughs> for everyone. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I do get some nice bits of feedback. And I had something recently as well where um, I I did a, a, a very tiny, like, you know, like one minute um thing on the sky at night a few months ago Hmm. and a a colleague sort of had her child on zoom and was like look it's Josie she was there oh that's lovely so yeah that's not something that I expected because I always feel like I'm kind of aiming I don't know I I feel like I'm usually aiming at people that are sort of young adult kind of age yeah Um, yeah it's nice to know that they're engaged too so that's good absolutely it's really really cool I mean Josie obviously you're um I've mentioned already you have so many kind of varied interests, you know, aside from your your academic work in in astrophysics, you are also an artist and uh, a comedian. 
do you ever look to kind of bring your sort of your love of science and that aim of making science really accessible do you ever kind of take a comedic uh, approach to it or think of a project where you can bring together kind of comedy and science I think I try and bring my comedy personality <laughs> yeah if there is such a thing, um, <laughs> to uh, to the things that I do and remember to be lighthearted and fun about it, because then I enjoy making it more as well. Um, yeah. I so I haven't had many specific things. I did do a um, women in science sort of comedy night with Jericho Comedy. Yeah. Gosh, when was that? That must have been. January or December? I think yeah. it was December last year. My initial um, instinct was to say, I think that was eight years ago. But actually, yeah, I think it was <laughs> just before lockdown. Yeah, like a couple of months before. Um, so, yeah, that was fun trying to marry it. It was more kind of like the realities of what it is like to be a kind of, I don't know, an astrophysicist and the funny things and people yeah. that you encounter. And was that your first uh, kind of venture into stand-up comedy? I did do a Bright Club a couple of years before oh, yeah. that. Um, so that was my first ever thing. Bright Club, for, for people who don't know, that's like a kind of, it's sort of TED Talk-ish, like TED Talk meets comedy. It's funny, it's interesting. It's usually academics or professionals like talking about their area. Um Sorry to interrupt. I just, just in case anyone oh, no, didn't yeah. know what Bright Club was, what what did you talk about at Bright Club? I think I talked about like popular misconceptions in astronomy. So there's kind of like a whole like astrology, you know, uh, crossover where you get. Um, there was like, a really funny clip from like the Australian Bachelor that came out like a few months ago, where <laughs> okay. there was this astrophysicist. He was like, "Oh hi, you know, I'm an astrophysicist," and the girl goes, "Oh great, I'm a Leo." <laughs> Oh man. Uh, and and so you've done you've had a kind of couple of experiences with stand up. Obviously so much of your your kind of comedy background is in improv. Um how did you feel about stand up? You've done it a couple of times now. Is is that something we can kind of steal you not away from improv, but do you think you want to join the stand up club or or is your heart so firmly with improv that there's no room for stand-up? You know, I do, I love the spontaneity of improv yeah. so much. Um, although, obviously, it's great to have the limelight all to yourself for 10 minutes. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's not pretend. That not enough really people nice. are honest enough to say <laughs> that, yeah, it's a real fucking thrill to be the centre of attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that that was great um I think it was really interesting trying it out because I figured I was kind of learning what maybe style of stand-up if I did more of it I would like to do and maybe more like character-based comedy I think because oh, I worried yeah. that I was a little bit mean in my most recent one that's um, interesting mean so, huh yeah. like um so one, one of my bits in my recent um piece I guess yeah. it was uh about 
how like you know you go to a party and then someone goes oh great like but bob does does science too you should talk to bob let's bring him over and you're like no the reason i came to the party was to get away from people like bob (laughs) oh i think that's only mean if bob is there and looking forward to seeing you (laughs) but what are the chances (laughs) true true Oh man. And so you you mentioned how much you love the kind of the spontaneity of of improv. Um and you start am I right in saying that your kind of first comedy experience was in improv with the Oxford Imps? Almost. I did my I first got into improv a couple of years before ah. um when I was doing my undergraduate still. Um and basically I was I was doing a maths degree and the um, societies at my uni weren't that great. So mm-hmm. I uh, did a few, I had never sung in public before. So I was taking some singing lessons and I was also doing some like refresher acting stuff. Mm. And it turned out that there was an improv class going on straight after the acting one and they didn't have enough people. So the teacher was like, no, you can just stay because you know, it will help the class and you're already here anyway for, the class that you paid for so um yeah so I did that for about eight weeks and then at the end of it the lead guy kind of ushered me over and he was like hey we think you're he didn't speak like that at all (laughs) hey you you, lady (laughs) you're pretty good (laughs) I love this character (laughs) that's really Um, interesting so yeah, I did improv with them for a bit, but it was kind of less intense. We sort of we did it once a month, and um, whereas the imps, you know, go to Edinburgh every year, and yeah. um, you know, have really fantastic alumni, and um, are very serious about doing improv to a really high standard. Um, not that it wasn't a good standard before, but it was just you know, this is just like the imps are weekly, and sure, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It sort of maybe take it a bit more seriously and i guess if there is that as you say kind of edinburgh element you're doing it for a paying audience and that kind of thing you have to think more about quality than perhaps you do if you're just doing it for fun do you think is that fair to say or am i putting words in your mouth yeah and no i think so and sort of that regularity of turning up each week and you've all got matching t-shirts and (laughs) um (laughs) and you know and uh yeah getting booked for um you know gigs for various people as well and then you know and then inevitably the other things happen like um the harry potter stuff that we do and well yeah that's that's one thing obviously with with lovely jericho comedy who produced this podcast uh you're a big part of our kind of improv output you're involved with uh, an improvised funeral which is quite literally what the name suggests uh the harry potter theme show the show that must not be named (laughs) (laughs) putting the fun in funeral uh but tell us uh like what's the because obviously it's very different doing a kind of longer form piece of improv like over the course of an hour you're telling one story whereas like maybe a lot of what the imps do is kind of shorter form, like a few games, and it sort of switches it up, gives different people different things to do. But in that kind of longer form uh, improv, like there's so many different skills at play there. There is, I mean, you're acting, you're writing, you're pacing the story, um, you know, you're taking on board like audience suggestions and everything. It's, 
it's such an incredible and envious uh, or enviable skill set um but yeah like how different are those things to someone like me who can barely improvise as this interview is clearly demonstrating uh yeah what what's the kind of difference between that shorter form those sort of games that you play and the longer form storytelling improv like do you, i'm assuming you approach them differently yeah you you kind of when you're doing the short form stuff you can be very free and very silly because there's no consequence yeah you know you're you're doing a very short game and you can say a ridiculous punchline and there's a great amount of fun that you can have in that and it's a very quick payoff and you get very big laughs very quickly um and yeah and as I say it allows you to be more silly to begin with whereas if you start a long form improv totally absurd then you're kind of derailing the whole story so you do have to as you say approach it quite quite differently and there are some different aspects to it that can make the payoff so much better like if you um you know I I remember this was actually a, a long form I think I had with the imps like there was a a scene where I think I was a teacher for some art student and then mm-hmm. the, the student went on his journey and then sort of I came in at the end and like sort of helped tie the story together and sort of the payoff of being like oh that was narratively so satisfying <laughs> and you know just <laughs> kind of you you know you that you have to hold back and not like jump into the scenes all the time because you're wanting to make the story good yeah, um, yeah. and so yeah the, it's even more fun getting to do that with uh within the harry potter universe and um you know exploring what dementors do on the tea breaks and <laughs> what the goblins are up to and um the house elves in the kitchens it's uh yeah definitely. yeah it's a lot of fun <laughs> we obviously had the pleasure of uh of improvising well improvising ish together this is sort of a different kind of show again i think we were involved with murder on the national express for jericho comedy uh, an improvised murder mystery set on board a moving coach. Obviously, though, there are points in that story that we know we have to hit because it is the same story each time, but we're surrounded on all sides by an audience of people asking our characters questions. And that's quite a different thing. Again, it's sort of halfway between a play, I guess, and improv. Um, but yeah, like how, how different an experience is is that again from sort of completely making up the story for a long form show? You know, I really enjoyed it a lot. I think a lot of the weight is taken off you in a way because you know what the plot is and you yeah. know when you have to come in and speak. And so that's that's really nice. And I think another really fun thing was, you know, we started doing the shows and then the more shows we did I think you could sort of explore your character a little bit more yeah Um, yeah. and so yeah as you say even though there's that sort of semi-scriptedness in that like we know who the murderer is and we know what you know who's got what evidence and and whatever else yeah but um yeah having that freedom to kind of be like oh maybe I'll play the character slightly differently this time yeah you know they'll have this kind of tick so it's kind of fun to yeah, yeah, I really definitely. enjoyed having that that mix of uh, boundaries and not boundaries. Yes, I totally get that. Yeah, I mean, you're you're just you're involved with so many kind of really cool things, but obviously the last seven months you've 
not really had the opportunity to go out and improvise in the same way as you usually do. Like, how much are you missing that? And kind of how are you filling the void at the moment with, without improv? Yeah, I'd been, I was missing it a lot and didn't really realise how much I think for maybe a couple of months because there was still sort of the whole like, oh, isn't this weird? And now <laughs> we know that we're in it for a bit longer. Um, but so I started a little bit just by going to sort of a group Zoom singing class, which is ah. as bizarre as it sounds because <laughs> we're all on mute. Um <laughs> Uh, what you, that's not yeah. what i would expect from a singing class like sing but i don't want to hear it yeah well you can just imagine the level of feedback you only need one person right who's got the you know who's not wearing a headset for it to all go wrong of course yeah um <laughs> so it was it was really funny actually because um it was with the same company that i did my original singing lessons with back during my undergrad degree oh, okay. and um it was kind of odd because it was almost like exactly the same because when you're in a group you can you know there was maybe one lesson out of the you know five six weeks or whatever that you would hear each person sing but when you're singing in a group you mostly can't hear everyone else sure anyway yeah yeah so um but it was really nice to have like a rhythm of like let's warm your voices up again and it sort of it was all musical theater so it was fun to perform yeah. um but yeah so I've been doing a bit of that and then I, um, on weekends started getting my, uh, partner to film me doing weird characters for Instagram. Um, <laughs> I've since released someone called Jardinier Jardin into the world who <laughs> has a little gardening show, um, on my Instagram. Um, so yeah, I've been playing, playing with that a bit, um, as a way to sort of still get some sort of performance in and, yeah. and trying not to be too precious about it because although the internet is kind of permanent it also kind of doesn't matter so um yeah yeah not being afraid to like just put silly songs or or whatever it is on there just to uh encourage that sense of play again that's very cool that sounds really really fun i mean i one thing i love and one thing i feel really really lucky uh, for is like with these podcasts the Jericho comedy podcast which I do for Jericho and also this the dinner party uh, I get to speak to brilliant creative people like you people whose creativity is so like multifaceted and obviously your interests and experience are so varied and interesting like from astrophysics to art and comedy and music podcasting all these really cool things um one thing I really like to talk about as well is kind of authenticity. And it's sort of something that particularly comes up with stand-ups, like because you're writing and performing stuff that in theory you really care about and that it's important to you. That's why you're talking about it in the first place. Do you feel that with your like all your kind of creative outlets that you can be really authentically yourself? And like, can you bring aspects of, of kind of one area of interest and another kind of together in interesting ways. Um, yeah, like, well, I guess what I'm asking is kind of how do all of those various interests kind of merge together and what for you feels like the most authentically Josie Peters kind of creative project that you have? 
So I, th- I think this is almost something that is going to emerge from the ether. Um, as, <laughs> as it's kind of one of these things that I have kind of been keeping them all quite separate up until now mm-hmm. um, and I, yeah I, I, I think authenticity is really important I think people are starting to realise that more now as like people are getting kind of fed up of airbrushed Instagram people and and mm. things like that that it's kind of becoming more of a uh I don't know. A, gen- a general consciousness is uh, hippieish as that sounds. No, I get it. Um, I get that, yeah. But yeah, I think or, or authentically for me, I feel most myself when I'm kind of being the very silly comedy people. Um, mm-hmm. So to to me, that's kind of uh, a, a very pure form of expression because it's very instant and visible. Um, yeah, and that sort of comes through with the art, and I think with the the science side of things that's kind of taken a little while to catch up because I think you you know you see what a what a science presenter is and you go oh yes well hello welcome to science time and you know <laughs> I'm going to be very serious now and tell you all the details whereas in fact you know scientists get stuff well they they try not to get stuff wrong all the time but they're what I mean is is that people who present sciencey things are also you know humans and make mistakes yeah. and kind of um you know, not worrying too much about, you know, there's an inevitable person who's sat in the background going, oh, well, actually, I think you'll find it's like this. Because <laughs> um, they're going to be there no matter how much work you put in. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely something we get a lot of Oxford comedy shows are like the most accurate heckles you'll ever experience. Like you oh, hear yeah? people... What, what if you had... Well, because I claim to know nothing about anything, thankfully I don't get as many of them, but we obviously at Jericho do like quite a few academic type shows or sometimes like some of the topics that are covered in our comedy shows are quite academic and obviously Oxford being a pretty academic place as well. We get some of those people in. I think the most Oxford heckle I ever heard uh, was when uh, wonderful Alex Farrow of Jericho Comedy was doing a he had something on a Gulf oil crisis, and I'm going to get the year wrong. I think he was like, oh, the 1977 Gulf oil crisis, and someone at the back of the room put up their hand and said, uh, it was 1976. And it was just like, yeah, that didn't add to the joke, but by God, <laughs> you loved being right, didn't you? <laughs> it, was, it was really incredible. Like, <laughs> I really enjoy that. I actually think the comedians who get those super accurate heckles really love them. Even if it totally derails the joke, it's mm-hmm. it kind of creates a whole other joke in itself, which is very fun. <laughs> yeah, it's like you, you felt the need to disrupt this whole set. Yeah, it's like an <laughs> itch at the back the of their right. brain. It's like, I won't be able to laugh at this until they know they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's really quite incredible. Um you you mentioned your art as well, just I mean, I very soon I I must and and absolutely want to talk to you about your dream dinner party, but I can't not talk to you about your brilliant brilliant artwork. It's so fun and funny and colorful, and I I love it. I really really love your artwork. That seems as well like a very good outlet for being funny and creative and kind of bringing together your. Yeah, so some kind of different areas of your your personality. Like how long have you been 
kind of creating artwork like this and putting it out there? Well, as as all people say, I, I came out of the womb with a pencil. Um, no, no, that would be very dangerous. Um, I was one of these kids that, well, I did have a Game Boy, but then also my mum would always pack a pad of paper and a pencil and a you know, in a handbag yeah. everywhere we went. Um, so I did used to draw a lot, a lot. Um, and then I kind of, once I got to uni, I sort of, it just sort of dropped off the radar for a bit. Um, and it wasn't until like a couple of years ago, one of my um, PhD friends draws quite a lot. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, maybe, maybe I'll, I'll do that again. And it was kind of crippling to see how far I had regressed. Um, from... <laughs> My skills at 17 were amazing. Um, so, yeah, ever since then, I sort of started off doing very kind of, they were very surreal, um, very quick line drawings that were kind of funny, kind of just a bit odd um, hmm. for, for a little bit. And then sort of over time, they've evolved to be more complicated as I've wanted sort of more of a challenge and they've become more expressive and more colour has emerged. And um, I've been getting different ideas to do things. So it's been kind of interesting seeing how that has evolved. Yeah. Um, and you, I mean, you take commissions as well. Like you you are a kind of an, an artist available for hire, obviously, if anyone's listening, but... <laughs> Do you kind Hello, of I just docked my beret there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find that like how different an experience is it right uh drawing something or creating something to someone else's brief as opposed to you having an idea for something that you want to create? Yeah, um it's it's definitely there's definitely more thought goes into it. Um because it, it's it's quite interesting. So at the moment I post uh, little videos that show you how I drew things whenever I've done them digitally you can kind of mm-hmm. see exactly like every stroke I've done and very rarely is there any sort of sketching I just kind of go into it and it's created and then it's there mm. um, whereas yeah if it's something for um, you know a podcast artwork or a logo or whatever else it is there's a lot more planning and thought that has to go into it so it's quite interesting going through the sort of devising process of being like oh does that like convey the idea that we're going for well enough and yeah um yeah kind of trying to think of different ways to convey the same thing and to make sure that it does come out clearly and is nice to look at as well yeah Um, so yeah it's it's a slightly more um intellectual exercise with the rest of my stuff is more instantaneous yeah yeah oh well whatever you're doing keep it up because i just I love your artwork so much. It's it's so fun and bright and funny and colorful. Yeah, really, really love it. Um, Josie, obviously, there. I mean, there's so much about your creativity. I could sit here all evening and ask you various questions about your singing and your performing and your uh, podcasting and everything. But I have to ask you now about your dream dinner party, which is why we're here. Um, before we kind of learn all the the details about the where and the what's on the menu and who's coming along, um, just as a general kind of question on a Dr. Josie Peters dinner party, what kind of an affair are they? I mean, are they silly, boozy affairs or are they kind of fueled by stimulating conversation? 
what's the kind of key ingredient of a dinner party with you? I like to think it's kind of a mix of all of those things. Um, yeah. Back, back in the day when we could have all our <laughs> friends around, <laughs> I, I love being a hostess. So I do, I do usually do quite a few dinner parties. Oh yeah. Um, and the, the main thing for me is just making sure that everyone is relaxed and happy. Cause then I think you get a bit of that silliness comes naturally. Mm-hmm. And then also <laughs> there kind of hits a point doesn't there when you've sort of you've had dessert you might have like a coffee or a tea or something and then all of a sudden everyone gets very serious and starts talking about well I don't know maybe this is just my friend (laughs) Um, (laughs) but you'll uh you'll get to that sort of stage of of wine or whatever it is where you're like now look you have incredible ideas and we need to get you out there and we need to think of (laughs) you know or like look, women in comedy, we've got to do some more something about it or whatever it is. There's, you know, a kind of setting the world to right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I think we should be talking more about this black hole that's going to eat us, but I don't know, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe ignorance is truly bliss. Would you like some cheese? I mean, that's, yeah. (laughs) Well, that's fantastic. Well, Josie, you've put together this amazing dream dinner party. And we need to know if you could do this, if you could gather these people together anywhere in the world or indeed beyond, where would you be choosing to gather all these people together? Oh, so I, I had a lot of fun thinking about this. Um, I initially thought like, oh, what about like a jungle, you know, Ooh. in the midst of a beautiful jungle at nighttime with loads of fairy lights. And then I thought, but Boomanek, I don't like um, the weather. And... <laughs> And also, it's such a big thing to dislike, Josie. I mean, well, I like some weather, but you know, jungle weather is like really humid and hot. Everyone would be a bit uncomfortable, a bit sweaty, and there'd probably be like a really dangerous spider or a snake or something that would just like ruin the whole evening. (laughs) Yes. Um, And that suddenly stops being a dream dinner party, then, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. So (laughs) I was, I was kind of trying to think of like, right. So if I had to actually implement this. Maybe I would just like take over the rainforest cafe, or um... <laughs> I love that. Because the last time I went, I was ten, and it was the best thing that had ever happened to me. It was just like we went and sat down in this corner, and they had all the jungle sound effects, and then this gorilla started like making noises behind us, and it was just oh, it was great. Amazing. I think the only thing I would change would be like before the dinner party happened. I would well I would I would take the rest of the building off because I would like the night sky. Um, oh yeah. But then I would also um stick googly eyes on all the animals and also pre-record like different things for them to say. <laughs> Almost turning it into a kind of cartoon rainforest, but a real life <laughs> yeah. one. That is amazing. That is I would- Definitely a location for a dinner party and an idea that we've not had in the series yet. <laughs> Sticking googly eyes on animals in the rainforest. Amazing stuff. Uh, well, we know where we'd be. We know there'd be googly eyes aplenty. Uh, so what we need now are some guests. Your first guest is an actor who, despite having no formal acting training, won a national writing contest and used the winnings to get an entry into the Spotlight directory. She's gone on to earn two Oscar nominations, six BAFTA nominations, winning once, eight Golden Globe nominations, five Emmy 
Emmy nominations, winning ones. You're inviting Helena Bonham Carter. Yes, I'm very excited. I can't wait to see what she wears. Oh, um, is is that a big <laughs> attraction to having her along? Because she is famously stylish. Yeah, I, well, I I think that, you know so many things about her. Like she is, you know, as you say, she's stylish. Like I like her different way of of dressing. I think she's very interesting, like that, and just one of, I think, just think one of the most watchable um, people on screen. Yeah. Like you could just anything that she's in, um, just totally captivating. What I mean, what do you think that is? Like what what aspect of her performance do you think sets her apart? I I think I think I saw her, there was um a really fascinating film that she did called that was it was about you know the chef Nigel Slater. Oh yeah. There's like a, this film about his childhood, and um, Helena Bonham Carter plays his stepmom. Oh it. wow! And go wow yeah she is quite a scary character in that and I'm yeah I must have watched that when I was probably I don't know late teens or something and just remember thinking just how enigmatic and how you know what an incredible performer she was to watch um and so then then you know seeing her come up in the Harry Potter films as well being of course that sort of age as well being like wow she's so great look at her Um, yeah and she was almost too good kind of as Bellatrix because we're not really supposed to like or root for Bellatrix. But she was no, so brilliant that you're kind of like, yeah, go on, kill them, kill them all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she was infuriatingly likable as Bellatrix, definitely. <laughs> she, um, I was doing a little bit of reading about her today. She's really, really interesting actor. Like I said in the intro, she kind of has no formal acting training. I, I, I say that like it kind of matters. Um, so many brilliant people don't have formal training in the area that they work in um but her mother is a psychotherapist and apparently helena bonham carter pays her mother to read all of her scripts and like deliver opinions on the character's kind of psychological motivations so that sort of fire that you you mentioned and like that kind of thing you detect in her characters that is in large part born out of the fact that Essentially, her characters have already had a session with a psychotherapist. And so she knows so much about their kind of motivations and everything. It's really, really interesting hearing her talk. There's a great clip of her on Stephen Colbert's show talking about Princess Margaret and the Crown. And she really speaks about her like she sat in on a therapy session and knows knows a lot about her. It's quite amazing. Mm. Because didn't she as as well talk to a a medium about Princess Anne as well? Not Anne, sorry, Margaret. Oh my god, Um, I don't know. It sounds like the kind of mad thing she would do. (laughs) I think she did summon her. I think I don't know. (laughs) Actually, Princess Margaret spent a delightful day on set at the Crown. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I think she did it sort of out of fun. If I remember the interview rightly, it was like sort of with her and Olivia Coleman. Um, Okay, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but you know, still just like some something to do nonetheless, and and seeing that uh, I think wow. Margaret approved, and uh, that's amazing. That was good. That's so yeah. Funny. I think it's just that thing about her that like you can see that she's enjoying what she's doing so much. Yeah, um, I think that's what makes it such a you know that's what makes her performances really light up. 
That's no. a really good point. Yeah. Some actors, I think you mentioned that. That's so true because some actors really do seem like it's just a job. Like, and they're kind of, they seem tired by their acting sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, she really seems to have fun with everything she's doing. That's a really good point. What do you think she'd be like as a dinner party guest? She is so much fun as an actor. Do you think she would have fun at a dinner party? I think so. I I imagine she would have a lot of stories and interesting things to talk about for sure. Oh, um, yeah. And would definitely be be good at at telling those. Yeah, um, yeah. Is that what you would kind of be hoping from her? Like if you've got her there, would you be asking her for sort of stories from the set or uh yeah, what would you be hoping from her like i mean ultimately as i said i i kind i do just want everyone to just have a good time like if she's not in the mood to tell a story and she just kind of wants to sit back and enjoy the food that's fine <laughs> um <laughs> but i would i would love to yeah talk to her about some of her roles and um yeah find out more about this psychiatry aspect to it and sort of how she approaches it and yeah um, goes goes through everything and and I always think it's interesting knowing the characters that people have enjoyed playing themselves like oh yeah whereas you know there might be something that people have enjoyed watching more but is that necessarily the thing that actually the actor enjoyed portraying as much interesting yeah Um, so you'd want to know kind of a bit more about what she's really enjoyed doing that's very cool I think that would be a fascinating conversation well Helena Bonham Carter is a great start to your dinner party a superb first guest your next guest is a comedian writer artist and presenter who rose to fame with the hit comedy the mighty bush as an artist he's had work exhibited in places like the royal albert hall and he's one of the co-presenters of the great british bake-off you're inviting the quite unique noel fielding to your dinner party oh my gosh i think i would actually faint if i ever saw noel fielding in the flesh (laughs) (laughs) He is uh, a little bit like Helena Bonham Carter in that he is known for his style. Like he was named in GQ's 50 best dressed men list. Uh, But other than style, what do you think he would be bringing to an evening? Oh, just fun and good times. Um. (laughs) 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 Well, I I kind of, I was was thinking about this lately. I was um, watching... Bake off with uh, with me boyfriend, and um, and you know obviously watching him and and Matt Lucas interacting with the contestants. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, is it is it normal that for me, like my reaction when I watch them is like, ah, oh, finally there's someone relatable on TV. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why? So you see a lot of yourself in in Noel Fielding. Oh, yeah, massively. Well, I mean, you know, I think I, I was watching The Mighty Boosh in my uh, mid-late teens. Yeah. So that kind of formed a lot of my, helped, well, yeah, formed some of my comedy enjoyment and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just the sort of like the playfulness and the kind of the um, the funny voices and uh, just his way of kind of joking around, I kind of relate to a lot um that's really interesting uh, i know he would definitely enjoy the the venue because he likes the jungle as well of course (laughs) (laughs) like he has cited uh people like salvador dali 
uh, Freddie Mercury and Spike Milligan, uh, who coincidentally have all been featured as fantasy guests on this series. Uh, but he's yeah. kind of cited all those people as kind of major influences. And it sounds like he's been a bit of an influence on you and your and your kind of comedy or your your creativity. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think um, sometimes if I'm sort of searching for a bit of creative nourishment or whatever, I have this uh, Mighty Boosh book from, you know, 10 years ago or whatever it is. Mm. Um, and it's just like really fascinating, like just looking at all the pictures and the different characters and, and fun things that they come up with. And it's just, I, I think, you know, what they did was just so really playful and fun and colourful and um, those are all the kind of the things that I really enjoy so I think that's why I tapped into it a lot yeah well what I mean if you've gotten there at your dinner party and you can pick his brain about anything like what do you want to talk to him about what do you want to hear him speak about I think definitely hearing about sort of those early boosh days of him and Julian getting together and Mm -hmm. the whole kind of process but behind like developing that and um you know where how you, how you even start something like that because it's quite an unusual show like there's clips yeah. of like really early boosh on stage in mm-hmm. like old pubs and stuff and it's like they were wearing like all their outfits and things to like gigs where like everyone else was doing like stand-up right and then yeah <laughs> they turn up and they're like wearing parkas and like being in the arctic and um <laughs> God, I would you know, not this, like uh... to have followed that on stage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's uh, um, they're certainly. I mean, they're they're so surreal and so kind of funny and and weird. But he's also he does balance that with like being super accessible as well. Like that's obviously why he works on something like Bake Off so well. Like, is there a specific aspect of his kind of work or personality or creativity? that you're kind of particularly drawn to? Is there one, like, Noel Fielding quality that you prize above all others? I think something that I really value that's not even a comedy thing is just sort of kindness. Like, he mm. seems like such a nice person to all the contestants on Bake Off or, you know, whoever else yeah. it is. I think that is a really good trait to to keep with you, especially if you've been very successful and and things like that it's um definitely a good a good quality and i think it's yeah oh yeah that's really cool that's an excellent answer what do you think like do you think he would kind of be the life and soul of this dinner party like what kind of behavior would you expect from noel fielding here i feel like he and helena would have a good time Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I can just imagine them two like both sat at the same sort of corner of the of the dinner table. Um, they definitely strike me as two people that if they sat beside each other at school and I were the teacher, I would have to separate them. Yeah. <laughs> They're both mischievous. That's true. Be like, oh, are you with the eyeliner, oh, are you with the other eye. <laughs> no, you stylish one. No, the other stylish one. Yeah. Oh my god, have we ever seen them in the same room at the same time? Have we just never come on to a theory? I'm putting it out there. Noel Fielding, Helena Bonham Carter might be the same person. Could well be. Just shape shifting. <laughs> that definitely would be the kind of weird skit like 
he would come out and say, oh, I was only joking. I was Helena Bonham Carter the whole time. They'd be like, ah, oh, man, no. Got us again. <laughs> <laughs> Is he some, have you ever had the chance to see him live? Yeah. Um, oh, back in, I don't, well, I don't know, whenever it was, whenever they were doing the tour of um, season three of The Mighty Boosh, they had him and Julian did a massive arena tour and I went to Liverpool with my mum who was quite stressed and <laughs> and uh, some of my friends this this Liverpool Echo Arena was very difficult to find the entrance to um, but we got there um, I, yeah and it was amazing there was just like this giant eel and like an enormous like how the character of Howard like came in on a dinghy and uh, the character of Vince like came in on this enormous sparkly cruise ship and <laughs> it's a great way to enter the stage and to start a show. Um, Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that was, that was the one and only time. Um, but it, it was great. Um, yeah. A lot of fun. Oh, that is very cool. Well, he is definitely a superb addition to any dinner party. He is going to bring an element of, fun and fabulousness to proceedings uh and your third guest this person's amazing your third guest is an animator illustrator and writer who as a child wrote in a school assignment i want to be famous for drawing horses someday and then that happened when she designed the netflix animated comedy bojack horseman she also created tuca and bertie you're inviting lisa hannawalt Yes. She is so damn cool. I really loved reading about her today. Like, I'd seen Bojack Horseman. I'm aware of Tuca and Bertie, but I didn't really know a lot about her. When did you kind of become a fan of hers? Well, for me, it was through Tuca and Bertie because I'd sort of I'd heard a lot of people really enjoyed Bojack Horseman, um, but they were like, oh, but it's a bit dark and sad. And I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm a very sensitive soul. I will stay away. Um <laughs> But then um, I was, uh, yeah, with my housemate and we put Netflix on and this, these colourful birds were on the screen being advertised to us. And we were like, oh, my gosh, this looks amazing. Let's watch this. Um, and, um, wow, you, you have to watch it. Um, the, <laughs> the first episode is, it's, uh, it's again, it's bright, it's colourful, kind of, surreal there's some like weird stuff that happens um mm. and there's like a lot of great music in it as well and it's punchy and it's funny and um but it's also yeah really smart and authentic and they touch on like some really uh amazing topics that, yeah. that should be spoken about and um yeah so I just I watched all of that really pleased to hear that adults when we're taking it for a second series um, yes yeah, yeah, it's uh, her her work is absolutely fascinating. Like on some level it is really simple and silly. Like it's bright, it's colorful and you know, it's about two sort of kind of human type birds who live together. And that's silly. But it's also like super deep as well. Um like Amanda Hess, uh, a journalist for New York Times wrote the animalism of Hannah Walt's work helps reveal parts of women we rarely see on screen. The strangest, horniest, hungriest parts. Like a lot of her work seems to be about kind of human nature and like how 
animal-like humans are or how human animals can be. Uh, it dismisses ideas that femininity can be kind of flawed and gross in the same way that masculinity can be. And a lot of it is about their mental health and anxiety. She she touches on some big areas. Yeah, definitely. I think part of being able to go into that is is having the the fun and the color and the this yeah. you know the designs that she has and making it sort of a fun visually appealing world that you can then dip into these as you say more more serious and deeper topics um, yeah definitely the you mentioned the bright colors there like it definitely seems to me like uh looking at your artwork i see kind of some similar qualities like it's bright it's fun super colorful um a lot of animals as well <laughs> is is she someone that when you're creating art you are like consciously aware of of that influence or maybe somewhere i haven't tried like studying any of her artwork actually um but i do oh, okay. i have i've got one of her graphic novels um called coyote dog girl which oh, is yeah great and I, yeah i guess you you absorb stuff and you don't necessarily know if you're you know there's there's definitely some part of you somewhere that's outputting some of the things that you've you've taken in um yeah what what is it about her kind of characters and her writing and her design that makes you kind of connect with her work so strongly i think it is Again, going down to that uh, playfulness and fun, but then also, yeah, as you said, the sort of the authenticity and and honesty mm. of it, and um, you know, and in a way, it's kind of, you know, with my sciencey background or whatever, trying to make that accessible, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like with some of, you know, what what she's done on Tuka and Bati is making difficult topics of other regions more accessible by, you know, sort of presenting it in the way that she does. Um, yeah, and I think that's a really you know it's it's nice to it's a good idea to use your creative powers for good. Um, Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um it, it's really interesting as well. Like she is involved, obviously, in animation, and there are a lot of um, yeah, a lot of kind of preconceptions, I suppose, about animation. People think it's either like for children or it's kind of for like sometimes it often has like a bit of a man baby energy like mm-hmm. a lot of the characters in adult animation are male or they're male focused stories and that kind of thing and Tuca and Bertie's one of the very few examples I actually can't really think of many others that um kind of aren't primarily about the kind of male experience or how men or male characters uh define a kind of female story like they are purely about kind of female relationships female thoughts female experiences um and what's really interesting as well is that this is episode 13 of this podcast uh series and i did 13 episodes of this on radio oxford as well so in 26 Uh, episodes of this yours is the first dinner party that has had more female guests than male guests really yeah and it's it really interests me that 
um, you've chosen some guests this evening, certainly uh, Lisa Hanawalt, very primarily amongst them, who do put that kind of importance on telling female stories. Um, and is that is that a kind of area that you care a lot about? You've mentioned the sort of the need to get more women involved with comedy and more women involved with science. Um, was this a kind of conscious thing when you were choosing your guests or was it an accident? A little bit conscious because I, I noticed that sort of some things I picked, I almost picked Hergé instead of Lisa Hanawalt because I've always loved Tintin and mm. all, all his adventures. Um, but then I started thinking, would I actually want him at the party? Oh, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then I was I was almost you know because I was writing things down I was noticing my my own patterns more and kind of Helena Bonham Carter almost became Ray Fiennes and I yeah. um you know I could have had Vic Reeves in there as well and I was like oh, I should probably only have one comedian um <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so a little a little bit conscious but then when I when I settled on it I was like oh actually no she does resonate with me more strongly and that, yeah I think I think you're right really as well about the different types of animation like as you say it's, I, it was kind of re refreshing to see Tuca and Bertie because I think because people are almost afraid of people saying oh animation isn't that for children mm -hmm. they make very ugly characters um, and you as you say a lot of those kind of more like man baby-esque type shows like mm -hmm. the characters are all kind of a bit hideous to look at and like it's it's kind of I feel like it's a retaliation to being like well it's drawings but they don't look nice so yeah. therefore it's cool <laughs> <laughs> um, so. men but, are obsessed with being cool uh, <laughs> that is really interesting um yeah, uh, like the, the I, I've not seen Tuca and Birdie, but having done a bit of reading today about it, it, um, it seems like kind of anxiety and and the way that some of the characters' mental health seems kind of central to the the story. Is that something that you you would kind of be interested in talking to her about? Because she's Lisa Hanel is a very anxious person. Um, she speaks a lot about her anxiety. Um, do you think that would be something that you would want to hear about or yeah like if you have her there what what do you kind of want to ask her about and talk to her about I think I definitely would speak to her about anxiety I mean I've suffered from it myself quite a lot and mm -hmm. I know that a lot of my comedy friends have also suffered from various mental health you know whether it's anxiety or depression or, or something yeah. else like um, yeah, a lot of people I know suffer from various different uh, mental ailments. So it would be, yeah, interesting to hear about her experience and how she, you know, I, I, I presume that, uh, you know, artwork must be kind of a, an outlet for some of, of that and kind of expressing mm -hmm. it because, you know, as you say, like talking about it in Tukra and Bati in various episodes and, and things like that would be really interesting. Um, and it would also be interesting to hear about her kind of experience in, the animation industry again like um just generally but then also as a woman because i know it's yeah you know, also also difficult for women to get into the animation industry as well so that you know the fact that she's done so incredibly like sort of speaks even more about 
what she does because it's difficult for her to to have got there in the first place um so yeah it'd be interesting to hear about her her journey for that Um, yeah oh she she's just amazing like i um I end up like reading so many kind of articles about her today and like watching. I'll send you a link later. In fact, I'll put the link in the episode description. That's the the thing I'm supposed to do on a podcast. Uh, I will put the link in the episode description. There's a great video where she talks about her work and her attitude to her work. Um, and yeah, she she speaks so brilliantly on it. And she has loads of really funny kind of sketches and illustrations up on the screen behind her. Um, and yeah, it's a really great video. I think if if you like Lisa Hannell, as you clearly do, I think you'll enjoy this video. So I shall I shall send you the link, Josie. But I shall also put it in the episode description so that the listener can enjoy it too, because that's only fair. Uh, your next guest, Josie, <laughs> is such a brilliant choice. It was a name that when I saw it, it literally made me laugh out loud because it was just so unexpected. <laughs> This person is a 32-year-old from Newcastle under Lyme. He's six foot three inches tall and weighs 186 kilos. And in 2017, he won the World's Strongest Man competition. You're inviting the beast, Eddie Hall. Yes, Eddie Hall. Josie, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my gosh. You don't Where does this one come it. from? World's Strongest Man is a very big thing in my family. Um... <laughs> <laughs> when, when when Christmas and New Year rolls around, all of the Peters come together, <laughs> <laughs> and we sit and we cheer them on. Um, but Eddie Hall is extra special because he's from near where I come from. Well, where I half come from. Um, ah, okay. So not only is he from England, UK, he's also, as you say, from Newcastle under Lyme, pretty close to Stoke on Trent. Um, yeah, yeah, it's that's my neck of the woods. Um, I used to work at a cinema in Newcastle under Lyme for about a oh, year. Oh yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he is obviously super impressive. Like he's a very, very big, strong man who can lift lots of heavy things. But what do you think that would translate as, like, as a dinner party guest? What? How do you think he would fit in with your other guests? And like, what do you think he'd be like at the dinner party table? Well, to be honest, I would I would kind of hope that he would lift the table up at some point, um, or some <laughs> of the guests. <laughs> Not in like a performance way, but just to be like Eddie, come on, mate, we know you can, would you? Because this would be hilarious. Um, <laughs> I can definitely see Noel Fielding kind of encouraging that kind of behaviour. <laughs> yeah. like, can you lift this? Can you lift this? <laughs> so I think that would be great. I also think he really. Fascinating. So um, he won World's Strongest Man. Yeah. And then he was like, right, well, I've done it now. See ya. Like, <laughs> yeah, he, um, he retired, didn't he? Yeah. He, um, he, I think it was his grandma was, was dying or, or something like that. And he was saying to her, you know, like, I will, I'll win World's Strongest Man for you, Gran. And it's just so unusual compared to sort of every other competitor, you know. Adrina Zaviskis will has got like I don't know what four strongman titles and like other people will will try and come back year on year to become world's strongest man again. So it's really yeah. rare to have someone who goes actually you know what I've won it. I've I've been world's strongest man and now I'm going to go back to my family and 
you know, yeah. enjoy my life without all this crazy amounts of training. Um, so I think that makes him, you know, does sort of set him apart from some of the other strong men as having this really interesting yeah, attitude definitely. towards it. Do you think that's like, would you want to ask him more about that? Like kind of about the the personality that sort of allowed him to walk away from it? Because that sounds like it would be very, very interesting to hear about from him. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, hearing about his journey, how he even got into it in the first place. And um, it, it, I just can't even imagine what it's like to just pull a truck you know, <laughs> yeah, it's so mad. But yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, do you think, other than the obvious that you you both love World's Strongest Man, like, do you do you see any other kind of areas of of kind of common ground or shared interests with him? Do you think? Uh, well, I I think people from sort of near Stoke have a pretty good sense of humour. Oh um, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you know what? I think he would he would be a pretty good laugh at the table. Um, I think he would it would be a fun presence to to be around. Um yeah, we could we could I could ask him if he'd ever been to view cinema. <laughs> be like, oh well I've worked there. <laughs> we could talk about the shopping center, you know, what else? Pottery. Um Do you think he's a good potterer? Oh, I don't know. I, who knows? I he, I would imagine that delicate things like pottery might not be feasible with his big frame maybe i'm judging him unfairly maybe that would be a good outlet for him yeah i don't know often people like that have quite a strong masculine thing that they do often have like a little a small delicate thing that they do as well don't they oh i really um, want to know what his is yeah he's he's such a hulking man like it's very difficult to imagine him baking or like, like crochet or something. Yeah. <laughs> Playing the cello. Like I just I struggle to see him being soft. But maybe I am judging him unfairly. Yeah, I, I would I would want to find out more of the, the facets of, of Eddie Hall. I bet he's a, a fascinating person. Um Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, he certainly was unexpected. Uh it really <laughs> He's such a great choice, totally different, uh, and yeah, just keeps things at the uh, the cafe very, very interesting that night, Eddie being there. Your final guest is a screenwriter, film director, and she's the chief creative officer of Walt Disney Animation Studios. She was the first ever woman to direct a Walt Disney Animation Studios feature film and the first female director of a film to earn over $1 billion at the box office. That film, of course, was Frozen, and your final guest is Jennifer Lee. Yes. I'm assuming you're a Frozen fan? <laughs> oh, let it go. <laughs> <laughs> How forced was that? <laughs> it I was a direct on, competition. Gonna... Which one of us got to use that joke? Yeah, and you there's... beat me to it. There's got to be another one. I need to quickly scramble down all the other song names and be like, oh, <laughs> Connor, I'm just lost in the words. That's me. <laughs> uh, she She's obviously an amazing writer and, and director. Um, why, of all the people in the world that you could invite to your dinner party, does Jennifer Lee get an invite? 
Well, so I um, recently watched, uh, there's a documentary on Disney Plus about Frozen 2. It's like an eight-part series or something. Okay. Um, and, you know, having, you know, such a big creative role, obviously she features very heavily. And it was just so fascinating seeing all of the different aspects of her job and, and what she does. And mm-hmm. it's... It, it seems like a great job. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, you get to see all the different aspects of the film and kind of and creatively steer it and be like, oh, this is a good idea and see what, you know, everyone is working on, whether it's, you know, the Foley artist or the actors or the, mu- mm. you know, the people writing the songs and just sort of being able to direct that entire vision um, just seemed like such a fascinating thing and and like she must have such a you know an interesting mind to be able to hold all these stories and these visions together and and know where they want to go yeah a hundred percent i mean you've touched on a couple of things there obviously like her incredible creativity um but also like the the kind of the, the business sort of side of it like it's amazing that she is in the position she's in obviously the first woman ever to lead disney um also just amazing like her journey to get there like she was originally contracted for eight weeks of writing on wreck it ralph and like those eight weeks kind of came and went and she was still there and only like a few years later she's got the top job at disney like She's an amazing, amazing person. Like, what qualities do you think she'd be bringing to your your dinner party? I think she would have interesting discussion points. I think she'd be quite insightful, I think, because Mm -hmm. of the kind of things that she does. You know, you have to be really paying attention to things and to kind of think about them in in different ways. Um, So, yeah, I think she would be very good at, at... and talking to other people as well, um, as well as telling mm-hmm. her own stories. Um, yeah, and just the wealth of experience and her whole story and, and everything else. Um, yeah, and she yeah. she also, as I say, all these people seem like nice, fun people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, this is a very vague and intangible thing to discuss, but they just all seem like great people from like all of the, you know, yeah. things that you see about them and the you know just yeah i think of, that's an excellent and important quality for them to be like seem like good people yeah and to they kind of got you know a, a sort of an intellectual side to things but also this creative side and sort of marrying those two together yeah um, totally she's someone who um like i i definitely when i was reading about all your guests i kind of saw some parallels between her and lisa hannawalt um, like obviously as as women in animation, but more so the kind of uh, like the female characters and stories that they bring to the fore, um, like obviously Frozen, the in almost every Disney animation, the the female characters are kind of dominated by the storyline in relation to. A handsome prince or a man who'll save them or whatever it is uh but frozen has given like you know young girls and you know young young boys as well like a totally different and altogether more positive view 
of what femininity can be. And that's something that Lisa Hannibal does as well through um through her work. Um and obviously you in as in comedy, um, you know, with the Oxford Imps and with the improv you do with with Jericho comedy and everything, your relationships with other female improvisers are super important. But you've also talked about how how comedy needs to do more to to kind of give women a voice. So do you think that would be something that they uh that kind of Lisa and, and Jennifer would have an interesting insight on? Definitely, yeah, and definitely coming up from from those sort of slightly different angles as well, because they are both animation, but one is, uh, you know, as you say, like feature films, and then the other is more mm. Netflix and and TV, and sort of the process of even getting there. Because it, I mean, it's crazy, right? Like more than half of cinema goers were women, um, yep. and to not be featuring. Uh, those those relationships that are so important and those characters and stories it's um yeah. it's mad that it's only just come about and it's it's great to have something i think you know as a when you are younger and when you're exposed to films that do have like oh well the love interest is obviously the most important thing it's so great yeah. to finally have something else where you're like oh but no your sister is really important in your friendships and you know it's not saying that you can't also you know have romantic relationships and stuff like that but just remembering that those other parts of your life are important because um you know i think yeah. both both men and women you've always had like friends who they get a boyfriend or a girlfriend and then they kind of drop off the radar a bit um mm-hmm. when that happens sometimes so it's yeah good to have those yeah. other relationships like reinforced yeah definitely she she's absolutely amazing um really 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 fascinating person Again, I really, really enjoyed reading about her. I also had a lot of fun trying to picture Eddie Hall singing Let It Go with her. <laughs> that would definitely be when the karaoke machine comes out at the <laughs> when it's sort of, you know, got one a robot parrot on it and it's you know <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I really I really need to see this now. Uh I can't uh, remember which guest suggested this. I think it was Laura Lex suggested that there should be like an illustration of all these dinner parties done. And I, I kind of feel like, I mean, you should definitely illustrate your, your dream dinner party. All these people, Eddie on the karaoke machine with Jennifer, <laughs> you know, Noel and Helena in the corner causing mischief. This would be a great image to see. <laughs> oh, I'd love it. It'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> You've put together like such a brilliant, group of people obviously helena bonham carter noel fielding lisa hannah walt eddie hall jennifer lee uh, one thing i love to ask uh, kind of all the guests who who do the show is like do you think there is a kind of common thread or a common quality that you see in each of those people like you've mentioned kindness a few times you've mentioned fun is that the thing that you kind of could say all of my guests are or I chose them because of X quality. Like, what what is it you think that kind of ties them together? I think, yeah, partly the the kindness aspect, and also like the there's um kind of an interesting little nugget of truth that kind of runs through them all. Like in Frozen Two, you know, there was the storyline where uh, spoiler alert, 
um you know <laughs> one of the sisters thought the other sister had died and luckily she hadn't actually died in the end but um you know not being afraid to go into those topics and there's kind of like mm. a slightly darker but very truthful side about Helena Bonham, Car- Bonham Carter's characters and then yeah mm. Eddie um you know being fine to sort of fulfill his destiny of being strong man once sort of thing yeah uh, I think I think that makes sense right is that a yeah I think that's no. a great I think that's really <laughs> really interesting no 100% I also think that you've put together a really interesting group like you would get such a fascinating conversation on gender with these people like obviously Noel Fielding uh, plays with with gender and his kind of clothing and makeup and stuff uh and you know lisa hannah walt jennifer lee look at gender in such an interesting way eddie hall is sort of like the kind of prototype alpha male um i think <laughs> yeah. the strongest man <laughs> exactly yeah like what's the number one male quality strength who's the strongest him so he is like the alpha male yeah, I think you would have a really fascinating chat on gender. I would certainly love to sit down and kind of have a discussion with like Eddie Hall, Noel Fielding, Lisa Hannawalt on kind of what what it is to be a man or a woman or if that even matters, that kind of label. I think that would be very interesting. That was something that occurred to me anyway. Such a great group of guests, Josie. Really, really brilliant. The last thing we need to know now is what you would cook for these people. Uh, so first of all, you you say that you enjoy a good dinner party. Do you enjoy the cooking side of it, or is that not your favourite part? I do enjoy cooking. I like uh, providing people with a tasty meal. Um, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I I always try and make sure that it's quite relaxed. To one, like put my guests at ease as well, um, mm-hmm. as well as you know making sure that I can also be present and enjoy the evening as well instead of being a a chef um (laughs) (laughs) um, well what would these lucky five people be getting from your kitchen well to when they come through the door they'd get a bottle of well not uh, well maybe they would get a bottle it's a fantasy dinner party why not a bottle of champagne with a straw (laughs) (laughs) that Uh, is setting a tone (laughs) That is, start as you mean to go on in an evening. Yeah. Here's your bottle, bendy and straws over here. Exactly, and if and if you <laughs> don't want to drink it, that's fine. We've got schler, it's all good. Um, so, <laughs> so we'd start off with that. Um, there would be quite an enormous array of crisps. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> hummus, olives, a uh, bit of cheese, maybe sort of fun little tidbits to start off with. Oh, and I've I've written here in capital letters figs. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Why do figs get capital letters? Oh, how just, important are figs to you? They're just one of those things that you kind of forget how delicious they are until you eat them again, and you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot about figs. Um, <laughs> I feel that needs to be like a slogan on a t-shirt. <laughs> I forgot about figs. <laughs> Quick, throw one in the oven with a bit of goat's cheese and some honey. Oh, oh amazing. So, and yeah. so this is all kind of, 
these are all the treats before the main course. Your guests really are getting spoiled. Oh, yeah. And there'd be some, like, maybe samba music or talking heads playing. Like, there'd be oh, yes. a bit of... If it, actually, you know what? This is fantasy, isn't it? I'd have a steel drum band. Um, oh, yes! <laughs> that is brilliant! I love steel drums so much. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and oh, then, wow. And then they'd get to relax and have their, you know, a chit-chat and, and whatever. Um, (laughs) so yeah, diverging from the menu, um, for a starter, I would then have, um, for any vegetarians or vegans, I would do some sort of veggie or vegan arancini balls. Um, and then for any meat eaters, I would have parma ham and melon because I just love how it's like literally like it's just ham and melon right yeah <laughs> but it's also like one of the bougiest starters you can have um it really is <laughs> you like you feel like you're being treated and you kind of just don't care that the host has literally like just opened a pack of parma ham um <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good reason to have it uh, and you're right it's so classy but they're just emptying ham onto a plate yeah slicing up a bit of melon and there you go um yeah and you can even prepare it ahead of time you can just do it in the morning stick it in the fridge and then hand Brilliant. it out later so yeah i love that nice Excellent. one um, all right main or i was gonna go for like a massive chili con carne because i love the freshness of the lime and the coriander Ooh, but then yeah. the more i think about it like is a veggie is a massive bolognese even better um so may, maybe i just make both no no chili i'll go for chili i've i've decided um <laughs> with yeah guacamole a plenty and lime and coriander and all the good stuff oh, um, wonderful and then to finish uh a giant tiramisu um Ooh. where everyone just kind of gets a spoon and then there's also like profiteroles on top um, oh, because I couldn't decide. So there you get that's to it. Brilliant! Two desserts in one. Yeah, why not? Just use profiteroles as decoration. I think that can. Oh my god, that is work. fantastic! Profiteroles as a garnish is now my new <laughs> favorite thing. <laughs> uh, hello, what's like you like kind of... on your salad? Um, you got any profiteroles? <laughs> Actually, I'm watching watching my carbs. Can I skip the croutons and just have some profiteroles instead? <laughs> oh that is amazing uh what a dinner party you've put together i can't wait when are they getting here (laughs) (laughs) this is the guilt i'm always left with like we picture the best like literally people's dream night and then at the end it's like well i'm glad you thought of that bye (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i really feel like i should be saying like Open your front door now and Eddie will be there. Oh like, my gosh, can you imagine? He would like break all my chairs, I think. He would be <laughs> <laughs> That's true. One thing at the Rainforest Cafe, they would have to have some damn strong chairs for Eddie. Yeah. Oh, I would be it would be so nice to see them all. Well, maybe who knows one day maybe I'll I'll be some big successful thing and uh you've chosen guests who are all still alive so this isn't beyond you like some people choose like guests who even if i were very resourceful and could invite all these people 
they're too dead to go to a dinner party now. But all of these people... That's my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You might be able to do this. Let's start a petition. <laughs> Even if we can get two of them there, that would be quite something. Oh, yeah. That would be... <laughs> I think it would have to be the right two, though. I can't imagine, like, Eddie Hall and Jennifer Lee particularly having a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Just two of them, like, (laughs) you need the whole menagerie. That's true. Is that the right word? That's not a rude word, is it? Menagerie? What is that? No, although I can see how you you questioned whether it's true. (laughs) Menagerie, I think that's like a, it's it's a word to do with, like, a variety of animals, isn't it? Okay, yeah. Menagerie. All right. Let me just... This is not something I often do on the podcast, but I am going to Google menagerie. Menagerie, a collection of wild animals kept in captivity for exhibition. (laughs) That's exactly what you want. That is, look, we're at the Rainforest Cafe. Who says we can't have people, you know, charging tickets outside? (laughs) That's brilliant. You could cover at least the cost of your food and drink by selling tickets. Yeah. That's genius. What an event. (laughs) Josie, that is so great. Thank you so much for sharing your dream dinner party. If if any of our listeners want to check out uh, all of your wonderful work in, in science and comedy, your wonderful art, where's the best place for us to see what you're getting up to? Well, <laughs> I have <laughs> decided to have multiple Instagrams because because uh, I have. Um, so <laughs> um, if you like science, it's at Josie A. Peters. If you like art, it's, I'm going to say this very slowly, art, art, yeah, art. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and if if you want to see a bit of Jardinier, Jardin, um, and any online shows I'm guesting on, uh, go to Josie Peters Comedy, all on Instagram, because that's the funnest place to be right now, I think. Wonderful. Well, we will add links to all of those accounts into the episode description, uh, as well as a link to your wonderful website. Uh, And Josie, it's been such a pleasure. I really hope to see you again at Wonderful Jericho Comedy Show very soon. Me too. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much, Josie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye. there we go that was Josie's jungle themed dream dinner party I really loved that Uh, you gotta check out Josie's work online she's so amazing we have added links into the episode description for all of her her multitude of different accounts that she mentioned and also for her wonderful website so you can click on those links and see for yourself why I'm such a big fan of Josie's Uh, I just adore having these conversations I'm having the best time making this series and I'm so so grateful to everyone who's given up their time to talk to me for the the series but also to everybody who's been in touch to say how much they're loving it I'd really love for us to be able to reach a bigger audience so if you have listened and enjoyed any of these episodes please do rate and subscribe and share and tweet about and all that stuff that you can do the bigger audience we can reach the more fun we'll have making the series. Uh, The Dinner Party is a Jericho Comedy production. You can follow Jericho Comedy on all the social medias or visit www.jerichocomedy.com for more information on all of our podcasting and live comedy events and everything we do. We're we're really great. Uh, You can also visit www.conmcreynolds.com and have a look and listen to some of my other radio podcast writing and comedy work. 
I'll be back with another guest next week chatting all about their dream dinner party. But until then, thank you so much for listening and bye-bye. (laughs) 